You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks that you're a God who speaks. You speak through your prophets in the Old Testament. Uh, you speak through uh, your Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, and you have speaking to us, spoken to us, I should say, uh, through your word, the Bible, that we might hear you. And Father, we ask that uh, now by your Holy Spirit you would uh, speak to us through your word, uh, that we might know you, that we might love you, and that we might walk in your ways. Uh, this we ask through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Well, um, I don't really have an introduction. Um, Titus is a great little book that I just thought I might spend some time looking at. Um, I was meant to do two weeks on Titus. I was going to do Titus 1 and 2 last week and then Titus 3 this week, but um, my wife and I currently have some Asherah poles in our house, apparently, that we can't find. Because um, three weeks ago I had gum surgery, uh, and so I had to recover from that for two weeks. Rachel got COVID, I got COVID, Jonathan's sick, uh, our power went out in our house, and then this morning the car won't start. So if you can help us find some Asherah poles that we can burn and <laughs> put our sackcloth on and put our ashes on and do a period of mourning. But so... I'm starting Titus chapter 1 today, all that to say, uh, and then I may not be here next week because we might have a baby girl by then. Uh, my wife is due next Sunday. Uh, so we'll get to Titus 2 sometime in the future. Maybe before Jesus returns, maybe not, who knows. Um, but let's read this passage together. So I've given you a handout with... Um, chapter 1, and then just some structure and uh, just some information on the back uh, if, you not, if you like those kinds of things. Um, would someone be willing to read uh, verses 1 through 4? Then can someone else read verses 5 through 9? And then can someone take over from 10 through 16? If you are willing. I'm, I can perfectly do it myself. But. Thanks, Emily. Servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness, and hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in the common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. <coughs> This is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order, and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers, and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard, or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They must be silenced, since they are upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain. 
what they ought not to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply, that they may be, of sound, be sound in the faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths and the commands of people who turn away from the truth. To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, so just by way of um, structure, I kind of want to do this more interactively, uh, asking you questions. Um, I know that can be awkward and people don't generally like talking amongst groups. Uh, I definitely get nervous up the front, so I definitely feel for you. Uh, but I'm going to ask you lots of questions uh, as we go along. But just by way of introduction to this book, this letter, uh, so on the back of your sheet you've got kind of what looks like this. Uh, we see the, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to his co-worker Titus, uh, as we just read. Uh, the letter was probably written in the mid-60s AD between Paul's first imprisonment. Uh, we see that in Acts 28. And his second imprisonment, which is not mentioned in the book of Acts. Uh, and the letter's theme is the unbreakable link between faith and practice, belief and behavior. I hope you saw that even in his first chapter. This truth is the basis of Paul's criticism of false teaching, his instruction in Christian living, and standards he sets for church leaders. So we're going to go section by section with, uh, as we just read that. Um, so looking at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4 to begin with. Um, so did anything stand out from that introduction, verses 1 through 4 to you? Yeah. It's true, isn't it? But it's like interesting that... Why, why does that stand out to you, Mary Sheldon? I guess just like having the qualifier of... Instead of saying what God is, He's truth or He gives truth, He's saying He never lies, what He's not, what He doesn't do. Mm -hmm. It just seems unusual. I don't know. Yeah. A lot of theology about God proper, uh, you know, the knowledge of God, is things that God doesn't do. He never lies. He never changes. He, uh, you know, it's called, uh, oh gosh, I know the word for it and I've just forgotten it, but kind of negative theology. Um, God is without sin. All those kind of things. That's good, good of you to pick that up. Anything else? How does this compare to Paul's other introductions in his letters, if you remember those? Or are there any words or phrases that stick out? Or maybe how does this contrast to what we know about Paul himself? <clears throat> Don't be shy, there's very few wrong answers. You probably want. Yeah. Yeah. Paul often addresses them more globally than to, you know. What do you mean by what do you mean by that? Well, 
he says to the church in yeah to the to the church to the saints fellow servants uh, those of you that accept God you know uh, yeah born so so this is more directed towards Titus and mm -hmm. it's more personal in mm -hmm. nature is that what you're getting at yes. mm -hmm. not that I want to put words in your mouth but <laughs> please yeah. <laughs> How does Paul describe himself? Servant, a apostle. Yeah, a servant and apostle of Christ Part Jesus. Of the God's elect. Mm -hmm. Knowledge. Well, yeah, he's those things for the sake of God's elect and their knowledge. Um, Dr. Bray has a really good, Gerald Bray has a really good uh, commentary on the pastoral epistles, so First and Second Timothy and Titus. Uh, and so I'm going to be quoting him a lot. I apologize. I should probably just buy you the book. Um, it's going to be better than whatever I can say. Uh, but he says, It was because he was a servant that he became an apostle, not the other way around. And the same can be observed in Philippians 2, verses 5 through 11, where it was because the Son of God was a servant that he became a man. Uh, so it's interesting that uh, Paul would say, a servant of God, an apostle of Christ Jesus, uh, that the servant section comes first. And all Christians are called to be servants of God, but not all are commissioned as apostles of Jesus Christ. Uh, so, interesting contrast there. Um, something that stands out to me, and I'm not sure, I need to do more work on the whole of the, the letter of Titus, but there's lots of God and Jesus Christ and no Holy Spirit. I'm just really interested by that. Um, why, you know, we get Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of God's elect, grace and peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ our Savior. Now, I'm not accusing Paul of being anti-Holy Spirit, but I'm just interested why is there God and Father, Jesus Christ, and not Holy Ghost, not Holy Spirit. Um, I don't think we can make any conclusions or any uh, doctrines from this. I'm just, I'm just really interested by that. Um, yeah. So in breaking this uh, introduction down, uh, Gerald Bray is once again helpful. He says, Paul was appointed as an apostle in relation to the faith of God's elect. So that's Christians, people who God has chosen to come into a saving relationship with him. Uh, in relation to the knowledge of truth that accords with godliness. So there's an interesting interaction there. Truth that accords with godliness. Uh, and it's in the hope of eternal life. Uh, and God promised this hope uh, before time began. God revealed this hope at the right time in his word through the preaching of it. And God has entrusted Paul with this message of hope. So there's a real logical kind of... Paul is a servant and apostle for the sake of God's people in relation to the knowledge of truth, which accords with godliness, in the hope of eternal life, which God has promised... God has revealed and God has entrusted to Paul uh, and to and he's now entrusting to Titus and Titus will then be instructed to entrust it to others. Uh, so what we can note from this greeting is that knowledge of truth should always be connected to and lead to godliness and then godliness produces hope. And this knowledge and godliness and hope are the fruit of faith in Jesus Christ our Savior. I'm not sure if you picked that up out of Verses one through four, but I've been spending a lot of time in it, and so that's what I'm seeing. Uh, any other thoughts or questions?
about verses 1 through 4. Don't be shy. Uh, what do you see? Sorry, I just realized. Um, verse 4, how does Paul describe Titus? Shout it out. True child and a common faith. Yeah. wonder if there's anyone in your life that you might describe in that way. Maybe not your children. Um, maybe your children. Uh, but is there someone not related to you that you have this relationship with that you would say, you are my true, true child in the common faith? Um, I'm not sure what that might look like for you. Um, I'm not sure what it really looked like for Paul and Titus either, but they had a very close relationship. They shared the same faith, and it seems like uh, Paul has been uh, discipling and, and uh, encouraging Titus uh, as his child in the faith. It looks like he was successful to a degree. I mean, Maybe. Titus is a, is a true child in a common faith. Right, yes, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I need to look into more about Titus. We I recently read about him in Acts chapter um, 12, um, but I need to see. I know more about Timothy than I do about Titus. Well, you'll have time to study him in the waiting room. <coughs> yeah, at 3 a.m. in the morning when I'm rocking my new, newborn daughter. Yeah. Well, let's look at uh, verses 5 through 9. So after addressing Titus, he goes on to explain why he's writing this letter to him. Uh, verse 5 tells us that it is to instruct Titus how to order the churches in Crete, uh, which Paul left Titus in charge of, and namely by appointing elders in every town. Uh, so what is an elder? Anyone give me a, a definition of what, an, what you think an elder is? He uses the word overseer in verse 7. Good, pick up. That didn't, that didn't answer my question there. What do you think an elder is, Catherine? Well, it describes it in verse 6. Good. Um, above reproach, husband of one wife, children are believers, and not open to... Um, they haven't been accused of debauching words. Mm -hmm. What conclusion can you draw from that, then? They're you know, generally thought of well and mm -hmm. leaders yeah mature Christians you could say yeah yeah so I'm glad you addressed um, verse 7 uh, an overseer so this might not come as any surprise to you but there's lots of debate about whether an elder and overseer is the same thing or a different thing um, and to be honest I'm not sure um, I could go either way uh, our Baptist friends my Baptist friends uh, would say that they are the same thing, that an, an elder is an overseer, an overseer is an elder. Uh, as an Anglican as Episcopalian, I would say they're different because I'm an elder and then the bishop is the overseer. Uh, so there's, within the Anglican tradition, there's a deacon uh, who is kind of the first level of ordination. There's a presbyter, which is the elder, uh, which is, or the priest, as we call it, is the second level of ordination. And then there's the Bishop or overseer, uh, which is the third level of ordination. Not that you get more like reverend as you go up the, the, the chain, uh, but you have different roles and functions and, and hierarchical uh, levels. Uh, Did they have that in 60 to 80 AD? That's the question. Uh, that's what really interests me. Um, 
this is the formation of the church. Um, I mean, Paul's instructing Titus here how to go about doing church. Uh, and so that's kind of the question. Like, did, is there meant to be a group of elders with an overseer over them? Is one of the elders meant to be an overseer? Are uh, all elders overseers or all overseers elders? You, who knows? Well, you know, I guess it could be a, a general statement and then the receivers of this may pick which one they are. Right, right. It's true that like all of these things are things that are a part of us as believers. So it's not like the overseer is held to a different standard of behavior. Yeah, good, good call. Would call the elder or any believer for that matter. Yeah. Um, which would be, you know, in agreement with the rest of Scripture. Yeah, and that's right. I mean, in uh, I think it's Timothy three, fourteen. Uh, all Scripture is useful for teaching and rebuking and training in righteousness, uh, not just for elders and for the establishment of the church, but for us as well. Um, yeah, that's great, Emily. Um, does anything stand out to you uh, other than elders and overseers? I guess this section is all about elders and overseers. Anything stand, about you, stand out to you about what they should do and who they, who they should be? What themes do you notice? Does this line up with what you think of me and the church today? Would you be able to accuse me of debauchery? I don't know what that is. <laughs> Say that. Speak speak louder. <laughs> be bold. Me, they're all experienced and all for God. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Elders and overseers uh, for a spiritual direction. Yeah. Yeah. So with that definition in mind, what do you notice about what Paul is saying to Titus? What he, you know, there's many words. I had this realization in my first year of uh, seminary that um, words are crazy. uh, And writing is such an interesting task because you can choose any word known to man, write that down, put it in a sentence. And so uh, your task as a writer is to choose what words you want to use to convey your message. So what words could have Paul said? <coughs> what words did he choose to use to convey the message? So th- thinking about an elder as a spiritual guider, what's important for Paul in that role? Communication. Where do you see that, Hughes? Well, he's going to give instruction. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting that in First uh, Timothy he'll say, able to teach, an elder must be able to teach. We don't see that uh, in Titus, but verse 9 he says, uh, must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that they may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine. It's, so it's not so much he's able to teach, but more he's able to hold firm to the word that he might instruct wisely or instruct rightly. Um, yeah. He, gave, he he provides differences between elders and overseers, some mm-hmm. specific differences. I mean, I guess they could be all under right. one type of person, but he made a point of saying it's 
saying it differently. Yeah. Well, that's the question, isn't it? Did he or didn't he? So mm -hmm. we might, we'll keep going. We'll keep going with that. I do think verse 9 is pretty key, though, because none of these things are true of any of us if we're not holding fast to Jesus. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, and holding fast to the trustworthy word. So the only way that all of these things can be true is that we're relying on the Holy Spirit and the grace of the Lord through his word. So I think, like, holding firm the Lord is the key to being able to be a leader or, you know, to be able to live the Christian life. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, that, exactly right. And it's interesting that he would say that last as well. Well, not last, but that's not the first thing he says. Right. The first thing he says is, what's your character? You know, be above reproach, the husband of one wife. His children are believers, not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. A steward above reproach again. Uh, that's what really stands out to me. There's a real emphasis on the character of the leader, even above competency of teaching, even above faithfulness to God. Um, but obviously we don't want to divorce those things too much because he can only be above reproach by the power of the Holy Spirit and the grace of God working within him or her. Right, right. Behavior will, will reflect what is going on. Yeah. You know, yeah. As it so often does. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just <laughs> thinking about my little. Yeah. Thinking about my litany of uh, words this morning that I just conveyed to you. Like, I'm sitting up there in the efficiency desk and I'm just like, kind of just anxious about, you know, is the car going to start when I get home? What's going to happen? Will. Rachel go into labor right now or is it going to be tomorrow and so you know my my physical state is not as good as it could be because okay I'll keep that in mind Steve because my heart is fixed on the things of this world rather than on Jesus yeah. um, so Craig's word that God's timing is always good was a good refresher for me um, does it do you ever wonder how Titus took these instructions? You know, we're talking about how they were delivered. Yeah. But how were they received? Yeah. You're probably not talking about this, but that really opens up a can of worms for me. Of um, how do you read the Bible well, and what's important? Is it the intention of God? Is it the message, or is it the reception of God? Um, so. That's really, I mean, that's a really interesting question for me. Um, I presume he went about and did it, um, but I don't have a history of Crete in the back pocket of my mind. Um, but I'll, that's an interesting thought. What happened to Crete after this? Did they continue to be lies, evil beasts, and lazy guttons, or was there revival in Crete that through the establishment of the church? People came to know Christ. Yeah, I'm not really sure. Um, so what I think, just a little summary of this section, what I think is clear from this section is that Paul's vision for church growth and church order is centered on godliness. Uh, in the Anglican Diocese of Sydney, which is where I come from, uh, when we discuss who should be uh, a leader, we often talk about three C's, which are character, conviction, and competency. And there's always this discussion of 
which one is more important? Is character more important than conviction, your, your knowledge of the truth, or is competency more important? Uh, and as is always in the church, the world influences us and we get so fixated on competency that we often neglect character. Uh, you know, when raising up leaders, I struggle with this all the time. You know, I want Bible study leaders, I want youth leaders, I want uh, mentors that are competent, you know, that know how to read the Bible, that know how to care for other people, um, forgetting that their character is just so much more important. If they're leading someone astray because they're gambling, they're, you know, debauchery, they're in debauchery, whatever, then that's going to have so much more effect on whether they can speak properly or not. Um, and even the business world knows this. Uh, Warren Buffett will say, you know, character is king when, when hiring someone uh, because their character will lead them in the right direction. Uh, and so what we notice from this is that all three of these are important in a leader. I think that the order of character first, conviction second, and competency third is correct, though I'm open to a correction from the Holy Spirit or from anyone on that. Uh, any last thoughts or questions about that? Well, that yeah. issue of priority mm. is a bit academic for me. <laughs> if I were reading this... I am an academic, so that... Yeah, <laughs> if I were reading this on my own, yeah. I would lump them all together. Right. <clears throat> As you would be wise to do. I imagine if they get out of balance, you can have a problem. Yes. Good character, but not enough conviction or competency, then Yes, ideally you'd have someone who is good character, good conviction, and good competency. Uh, rarely do those things line up as three things. So, um, and we're all different. So, yeah, that's and good. Our definition of those things are probably different. That's true. Yeah, <laughs> hence why we turn to God's Word to help mm. us with that. Yeah. Well, verses 10 through 16, after laying out what an elder slash overseer should be, in verses 10 through 16, Paul gives the contrast of those who they should not be. Concluding uh, this chapter with the scathing rebuke of some people who, though they profess to know God, they deny Him by their works. I don't know if that hit you as hard as it hits me in verse 16. Um, but what, do you, what stands out from verses 10 through 16 for you? put my fingers on about about um, telling those non-believers that they're not worth dirt. Um, <laughs> I'm not uh, sure if he says that, but no, keep going. That's a paraphrase. <laughs> um, and of course, we're if if that's what it says, um, that that's a bit different than we treat people believers. of different faiths mm -hmm. and beliefs now. Interesting, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the question there for me is, what is the place of re rebuke? Um, he says it in uh, in the previous ch uh, passage, previous section, uh, that you may rebuke those who contradict it. Mm -hmm. uh, and then here, he's asking for people to be silenced. He's saying, uh, rebuke them sharply. So, yeah, how do we... 
heed the commands of Jesus to love our neighbor as ourselves and to love our enemies? And where does rebuke fit into that? Um, especially within the context of 2023 where love is seen as affirmation. How do we do that well? Yeah, Emily. The rebuke is primarily aimed at those that are also teaching and leading people astray. Yeah. Um, It's a little confusing because then we've got the line about Christians in general. (laughs) So I'm not not exactly sure what to do with that. But I think, yeah, I think that the the rebuke is really being handed to those that are teaching within the church and teaching something false. Yeah, I think you're right. That cannot be tolerated. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. Uh, it's not that we go around just rebuking everyone, you know, oh, your coffee's too black or your coffee's too white, you're, you're a liar. Um, it's that there's a special place for teaching and, and it's important to hold, first, hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, hence why he would single out these people. Yeah. Yeah, so what, how does Paul describe those who must be silenced in verse 10? How are they described? That's what I was going to say. I'm, I would love a little more on like what, you know, what were they teaching as the circumcision party? Yeah. extra things on people. Yeah. That's referring to. Yeah, so, I mean, we don't really know what's happening in Crete, but, I mean, verse 10, they're insubordinate. Uh, they're empty talkers and deceivers, uh, and then it's especially those of the circumcision party. So, where else in the New Testament do we learn about the circumcision party? Galatians. Galatians. Uh, so, Paul rebukes uh, Peter for hanging out with uh, the circumcision party because he's not acting in accord with the grace of God in Galatians 2, uh, verses 11 through 13. Uh, and so, we can presume from this and from the context of the New Testament that uh, well, we see in verse 14 um, they're devoting themselves to Jewish myths and commands of people who turn away from the truth. So there's these people who are coming in teaching what is not in accord with sound, sound doctrine, teaching them that they have to do more than have faith in Christ to be saved. They have to eat the right things, they have to believe the right Jewish myths. Um, And so I find verse uh, 15 a little confusing, uh, but I think it kind of makes sense when you understand within the circumcision party. So verse 15, To the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. Uh, So I'll I'll read a, a quote from Dr. Bray first, and then I'll be able to gather my thoughts better. Uh, The commands being taught had something to do with the laws of Jewish ritual purity. Uh, And that seems to be clear from what Paul said next. Uh, He laid down the principle that to the pure, everything is pure. This was the teaching of Jesus, expressed in a more abstract and succinct form, as Emily reminded us before. Jesus taught his disciples that it was not what a man ate that defiled him, but what came out of his heart and mind. In other words, uncleanness was a spiritual matter rooted in the soul of a man, and this could not be affected by external considerations. So presumably what these circumcision party are saying is, in order for you to be right before God, in order for you to be holy and clean and acceptable, you have to do, you've got to go to the temple four times a day, you've got to tithe your 
thyme and your rosemary and your mint. You've got to do X, Y, and Z. Um, the law. The law. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but what we see uh, is that uh, it's not those things that matter, but faith in Jesus Christ. So we need to be careful here. What Paul is not saying is that uh, in Christ, evil is good. So verse 15, to the pure, all things are pure, but to the far and unbelieving, nothing is pure. So all things are pure is an interesting phrase. It's not. He's not saying, you know, everything is okay. It's all good. You can just do whatever you want. But uh, what he is saying is that uh, these false teachers prized external purity over internal purity, uh, not realizing that their minds and their consciences uh, were defiled already. So uh, they themselves were defiled, and so that led them to do defiled things uh, rather than uh, the other way around. Um, that's not helpful. Um, I think what is helpful is the saying that we say around here that uh, you're not a sinner because you sin. So the actions that you do don't determine who you are, but who you are determines what you do. So you sin because you are a sinner. Uh, And so we need the grace of God transforming us from the inside out. It's not the external actions that are going to change us. Uh, And so uh, if you see someone saying, hey, you can be saved if you do this, apart from if you repent and believe in Jesus Christ, then we need to rebuke them harshly, as Paul would say. Uh, According to verse 16, how can you determine whether someone truly knows God? Works. Yeah. How do you feel about that? How does that make you feel? After everything I've just said. Well, I think it's a good thing, but I certainly don't practice it that much. (laughs) Rebuke you. Uh, (laughs) I think it says you know people don't know God by their works, but it doesn't mean that they do. Oh, that's interesting. Tease that out for me. Say that again. If they deny God. Yeah. But that would presume, like, by implication. I'm trying to, I'm trying to sift that out. It's interesting. Yeah. 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 I'm going to judge you for by your works as a fellow believer. That's putting ourselves in the place of the Lord. But the fruit is something that's very like true that should be evident in a believer's life too. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I'm sorry. No, it's, keep going. The this works, is good. I think the works are important, but at the same time, there's a verse that says that I can't recall it, but it does say that. You don't have the value works alone of mm-hmm. whatever that verse is. So James, faith without works is dead. Right. Yep. And so therefore, really all God is asking <clears throat> at the end is that you just believe and accept me at the end. But the works are important because 
you are representing God by what you do and the life you live. Right, right. And that goes back to verses 5 through 9 where Paul is laying out, hey, this is how the leaders of the church should act because it reflects on the church, it reflects onto God what God is like. Uh, I think I'm picking up what you're putting down, um, Catherine. They profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. It doesn't say they deny knowing Him by their works. Is that what you're saying? Uh, I think I was saying that just, um, just it's the discordance between right. professing to know God and denying and, Him by their works. Mm-hmm. It doesn't necessarily mean they know God if they... Do have good works. Yeah. Okay, yes. We're on the same page now. Okay, good. Um, this is I. This is what I love. I love doing this. Mm-hmm. I hate not knowing things, um, and I love working things out. So this is great. I'm not sure if you're having as much fun as I am. <laughs> um, yeah. I think the point is that the works flow out of a heart that seeks after Jesus. Mm-hmm. Accepted. Has accepted that Christ is the only way that we're capable of that. Right. So yeah. The works flow out of our faith, and not the other way around. Right. Right. You know? Yeah. Which is part of the reason that somebody could have good works and, and not be close to God. Not Christians. You know, yeah. not Christians. And so, yeah, to me, to your point. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yes, work, fruit is always, works are always a fruit of salvation, never the foundation for them. Uh, I think we can all agree on that. Um, uh, just a fun, for those who like trivial facts, uh, the note on the Cretan quote. Uh, the quote from, about the Cretans comes from Epidemides of Crete in his work Cretia. Uh, it's from the same work that we get the quote in Acts 17.28 which says, for in you we live and move and have our being. So I found that really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like a stanza of a poem and we get both of those quotes from him. Uh, and ironically this work was about uh, Zeus. So I think what Paul is saying in Acts uh, is that the God that he calls Zeus is actually God of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Um, but we're not in Acts, we're in Titus. So. But I just find that is really interesting. Um, to conclude, and we need to conclude, where does this passage hit you? How does this passage apply to our church, to the church, to the Episcopal church, to all churches? Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that and I skipped over it, but that's really good. Yeah. Yeah, godliness verses 5 to 9, God who never lies verses 10 through 16, the hope of eternal life verses 11 through 7, chapter 2. Um. Yeah. Well, let me give a summary. Um, I'm just getting a text about my son crying. Um, let me leave you with some wise words from John Stott uh, from his Bible study on this letter. So he says, uh, Looking back over this chapter, within the context of the contemporary church, there are two major lessons we need to learn. First, let's copy Paul's strategy in relation to false teachings. When false teachers increase, 
we must multiply the number of true teachers. Second, let's maintain Paul's high standards for, of eligibility for pastors, particularly blamelessness. blamelessness. The church will be far healthier, uh, in far healthier condition if we do both those things. So I found that really interesting. When false teachers occur, let's get some true teachers up there. Let's raise up some men and women to proclaim the word of God. And then please rebuke me. Please hold me to a high standard. Um, I need encouragement. I need instruction. I, I have blind spots um, that I just can't see. So please, if I am acting that is not in accord with God's truth, please let me know. Um, I want to follow him more closely. Uh, so that I can teach you how to do so also. Um, let me pray for us, and then we can go. Our loving Heavenly Father, we give you great thanks uh, for your love for us in Christ Jesus, that uh, your love was revealed and manifested at the right time, uh, that we might have hope of eternal life, uh, and in this age, godliness, and in the life to come, everlasting life. Uh, we ask, Lord, that by your Spirit you would protect your church, that you would raise up... Uh, elders and overseers that uh, are uh, holy, holy and godly in character and can hold firm to the faith uh, once proclaimed to the saints. Uh, we ask, Lord, that you would indeed build your church, that you would indeed protect your church, and that you would indeed uh, grow us in love and knowledge of you. Uh, we ask all these things through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.